Welcome back to another episode of an unexpected podcast here with your usual host, myself, Rainier, coming to you guys from Honduras. We have the duo son and father coming from Boston, Matt and Evan. And last, we have the recluse Mick in London. So for today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, competitiveness. It's kind of a subjective discussion. We're kind of going to go over what is too competitive, what is competitive enough when it comes to events and like playing with with your friends or playing at an event. We are also going to go over the groundbreaking FAQs that were just released. Um, make sure you stay tuned for that because it's going to be really controversial. You, we all know they released so much this FAQ, not really. But yeah, so stay tuned for that. As always, we're going to start the episode with a list review from one of our players. Can you guys toss that on the screen? Uh, yeah, I will go ahead and do that. In the meantime, while I'm getting this up, uh, I think Mick had asked the very important question, how do I paint a figure? And maybe um, maybe we can answer that while I'm getting it up here. I, I so, did. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to figure out how to paint Druzag and literally being on this podcast is like the only time I ever paint. So <laughs> maybe you can give me some advice. So this this is Druzag the beast, beast caller. Yes. Um so I mean the bats I, are I, black. I use a well actually some of my bats are yellow, other ones are green. Ooh. My other bots are blue. So anyway, we've got a list <laughs> to review. <laughs> okay, so let's try not to butcher this name. Um, we have Philip Olager uh, coming from Sweden. He says he loves the content and he is looking at chariots for a local 500 points tournament that includes Easterlings. So his leader is Rutabi, who also has one black dragon cataphract with war drum. Six Easterling warriors with shield, seven black dragon warriors with pike and shield, and one Easterling warrior with shield, pike, and banner. Second warband is an Easterling captain with shield, two warriors with shield, and two warriors with shield and pike. And lastly, you have a Kandish chieftain on chariot with two Kandish horsemen. You're looking at 500 points at 23 models and two bows. Let's see what his comments are before we start. He's on the fence about taking this. Uh, he was thinking about running just the dragon host with the emperor. If you look at our previous po- podcast episodes, we know that is a really strong legion, even at low points. But he wants to try the chariots, um, debating whether or not he should upgrade the captain to a chariot or the chariot to a king to get some extra horses. He's also considering taking some extra Easterlings and grabbing more horses to make it more of a pike block. Rutabi. Oh, Rutabi and Emperor instead of Rutabi is also an idea. Um, and he doesn't want to play awkwardly because you have the style of the pike block and the kind of cav hit and run from Cond. So my first thoughts are when I saw that we were going to review a Cond Easterling list, I almost passed out with excitement. This is my favorite combo in the game. Not just for playstyle, but for aesthetic, it looks really, really good on the field. Now, that being said, to answer, I don't want to answer all of the questions, but I'll answer one of them. The idea of bringing more Kandish horsemen, I would say no, especially at this low of points. Now, I've played this, and I've played against lists like this, and the Kandish horsemen are really easy ways to just break the list by going for the low defense. 
Um, I do like the inclusion of a chieftain instead of a king. I don't know if that'll be controversial, but at 500 points, a king does kind of get there up there in prices. I would consider maybe just one warband of Easterlings with the Black Dragon Emperor and to save money by not having the captain, but I'm open for a lot of discussions. Your chariot idea, I like strategically playing with a pike block and chariots because you can have the chariots hit the flanks and kind of like engulf the opponent and like mow down the lines and stuff. Plus they protect your flanks because chariots are kind of difficult to kill. But what do you guys think? Um, well, I think, well, I think you said a lot of good stuff in that. And obviously you are more experienced with uh, the Easterling Cond Alliance. So I would defer to you, but I think I personally would probably do my best to keep Rutabi in this list if I can, because I think she, she synergizes very well with chariots, um, in the fact that, uh, she can use her master of battle to be able to call more heroic moves and just uh, keep the chariots moving first, which is obviously what you want to do. Um, so I, I would almost, I think I might consider uh, dropping the Easterling captain um, and then maybe upgrading the chieftain to a king or maybe not. Um, it might also be interesting to, uh, when you're dropping the captain, say, uh, take maybe one or two more of the basic charioteers along with upgrading to the king just to be able to uh, to take advantage of those heroic moves from Rutabi and really sort of add like that that hitting factor um, to your to your list. Because I feel like right now it's got the only really like strong like special gimmick it has is that one chariot. Um, which I think can definitely get shut down. I think maybe adding, you know, making it two or three chariots at a 500 point list um, would put a lot more, would make your opponent a lot more worried than just having to deal with one of them. But yeah, I like that that's idea. My, that's my opinion. Um, <clears throat> I, like I haven't really played the list. You you are seeing in a sense, 500 points, in my opinion, doesn't really go go well with this alliance too much competitively because you might come against a Boromir with a White Tower. Now his only threat is the Khandish Chieftain on Chariot, and he can munch through the rest of the army pretty well. Rutabi's really good for movement, as Evan showed, but it will be at 500 points difficult to get the full worth because she's not going to be like slaughtering a whole bunch of stuff. So, I mean, I think if if this lets hits Boromir or the White Tower, um, the Khandish Chieftain is dead meat. Um, the Condus Chieftain is baggage. Rutabi can kind of hold him up because she has the 50% chance of not getting knocked down. She's got the defense seven, so he's only wounding her on sixes, and um, she can at least strike up against him. Um, but Bormir the White Tower will blow through a Condus Chieftain in, in you know one turn. He'll go in, he'll win the fight, he'll spend whatever might he needs to kill him um and then uh and then move so on especially if there's so correct me um what what's the defense of the condish king compared to the chieftain are they the same it's six about five, five right on oh, six five. Oh, actually six to five yeah because there's heavy heavy armor on the on yeah the, the king is heavy armor 
So that'll help him against like basic troops if he loses, but against like strength four heroes, they're wounding on the same thing. So and the king has strike too, which the king does, has strike, does which is strike what in the he... banner for six inches. Yeah. So if you go up against a Boromir or like a Huron or something, you strike with the king, it's gonna kill a lot of what it sees. Not Boromir, but like like some some low mouth of Sauron king, you can strike up from, from five to six and kind of take it. Yeah, I mean, the the problem is the Condor's Chieftain, if it runs into any hero that can strike, will tend to die because it's not just going to fight the one hero that can strike. It's going to fight the one hero that can strike and because it has a huge base, yeah. two or three of its buddies. Yeah, um, and I, I, think, I think that's the problem, too, because when I build lists with the Condish Chieftains on Chariot, they're the support models that can do like a lot of damage, but they're not the main like guy and in this list it's kind of the main guy and i don't i don't yeah. think it's i mean the fact that this list only has one striker and that's rutabi who's on foot um you know without without brewer here to um uh you know to to enchant blades or you know blade wrath rutabi it's just i i just don't see this having enough killing power and i don't think the run over attack from one Condish chieftain on chariot is gonna is gonna do it now would you agree with me by saying you can fix it either two ways one drop the chieftain for a king or two drop rutabi for the emperor drop rutabi and the captain for the emperor yeah i i think that is actually the way to do it because like if you go I actually think the Emperor is a fairly good buy at 500 points because um, it's 170 points for the Emperor Vice, 110 for Rutabi. But if you take the Emperor, you don't need the banner. So that's 25 points there. So now you're up to 135 points. And you're not spending 16 points for um, the Black Dragon upgrades that you've got in this list. Oh, actually, no, you are because this isn't going to be... Uh, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, this isn't going to be a, um, a Legion uh so but still that's a hundred basically you're spending 35 points to upgrade rutabi to the emperor and if you drop the captain you're saving like 20 points too yeah um and and then you get you get 18 you can get 18 guys um in with this which i and i think this had this only has 19 to begin with um and I'm wondering then if you upgrade the Condish Chieftain to a king. What's the what's the point break to upgrade them? It's quite a lot because the king, I think, is 135 and the Chieftain's 85. So you're spending 50. Spending 50. Um yeah, I'm not I'm not sure the points work out on the Emperor mm -hmm. and the King. So the Condish um, King is 125. So you're spending 40. 40, okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm not it's sure. Interesting. That works out. Or you can like if you want to take this list as it is and let us know what what you would change if like our ideas work. Because yeah, I don't know. It's it's a give or take at 500. So I took a version of this list once, and I think I took it back before the new releases came out you know, or the, you know, like the Emperor Rutabi Borgir releases came out and I'm trying to remember what was in this. And I also don't think it was 500 points. I think it may have been 600 points. Um, and I think I may have taken it with Amder. I'm wondering if, if Amder would be a, a good add to that. How many points is Amder when he's on the horse? 
145. 145. Yeah. 145. So, and he has, he has a banner effect, right? Yeah. So, so is the king. If we're still taking the king. Right. Uh, but isn't the, isn't the king's banner effect only for Khan? It is. Yeah, and so Andrew's is only for chariots and Only for Easterlings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I do like though, like uh, the emperor at this because you have the drum and the emperor's no slouch in combat. The right. emperor can take out quite a lot with an elven blade at like fight six, uh, and the banner and having like fight five. Do, do you just still get the fight five Easterlings around with the? Yes, you do. Yeah, so that's if you have that with a Condish chieftain chariot. Now you're not worrying, oh my gosh, my Khanish Chieftain Chariot has to like hold down the line and do so much in this game. Now you can just focus the Chieftain on mowing down troops or yeah. making heroes or dehorsing something. I mean, the, the downside of that is that you become kind of an eggs in one basket list with the Emperor. I mean, it's a good basket, put all your eggs in, but mm -hmm. um, it you know it is all the eggs go in his basket and you've only got five might. That's true. Um you know, unfortunately, at 500 points, the real problem here is is the inclusion of the Condor's Chieftain on Chariot. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just not sure at 500 points that's the way to go. I think if this went to 600 points um, and you could do, um, like, Emperor, uh, Captain, Chieftain on Chariot, or, or maybe... 650 actually at 600 points you might well now 600 points you may be able to do emperor rutabi and chieftain on chariot um with a decent number of uh folks along with them but at 500 points it's 600 taking all three of them you're probably averaging like 20 to 25 models so i'm not sure about that so i think at 25 models you could probably get away with it um but uh, I think, I don't know, this is tough at 500. I mean, I really think the way to go at 500 points with the Easterling is, you know, you take the Emperor and then you decide kind of what to bring with, whether it's Rutabi or Borgir. I don't think you want to take both. I think it's, I think it may just be Emperor Rutabi at this point's level, and then you just fill up their warbands. Um. I think that's kind of the most competitive list, but it, you know, it, it doesn't have a chariot in it and, and Philip wants to bring a chariot. Um, and I'm not sure how to get, I mean, if you were going to put a chariot in, I'm not sure this is a bad way to go. Um, yeah. Also, you're optimizing the chariot with Rutabi and yeah. you have Eastern with the might. So actually, yeah, I don't, I still yeah. think 23 models is a little low, but. I, I always bring 60s. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, and one striker isn't great and the killing power isn't great, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's a way to really improve it. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a big weakness regardless. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to have the chariot in the list. Um, Can I just add? So I'm just, I'm just wondering what, what's your opinion about actually keeping versus removing the Esterling captain? Because uh, that's one of the ways that you could increase your numbers. If you were to, Get rid of the captain. You could add more warriors to kind of chieftains warband. You could. They're they're squishy warriors. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, I think if, if I were to but, that, but they're still they're still warriors. They're still yeah. more numbers. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I've played a list like this at the last event I played in Lancaster, and I just focused on the the condition they broke really really easily. But I do. I'm never a fan really of the charioteers, but I do go along with what Evan said earlier. If Mick, if you do drop that warband, throw a charioteer and maybe more Kandish horsemen and more warriors for the fight for, because why not into the Kandish chieftain's chariot? Or if you want to go big, drop the Easterling captain's warband and upgrade it to a king. But no, I think you need to keep the numbers. Just throw in a charioteer if you want to drop that warband. So how much is the Kandish chieftain on chariot? Chieftain on chariot's 85. Uh, and the Easterling captain with shield is 55. Yeah. Um, 60. Is he 60? I think he's 60. I'll double check. Yeah. Well, I think he, but he's 60. Yeah, he's 60. Okay. Um, I'm wondering if you drop the Easterling captain and maybe put a second kind of chieftain in. I like that, Matt. Now you're seeing why I like Countess Chieftains, because they're kind of cheap. And yeah. you can talk them in. And they, um, both, you... they both have two might, and they both have Heroic March. You right. get 15 inches on the Heroic March. Catch up with the drum. Uh, I honestly really like that idea. You might you drop all... a couple. Yeah, you can also, by the way, um, if you need a couple extra points. So, okay. So maybe we're maybe we're focusing in on dropping the Easterling captain and changing him to a Condish chieftain, and then taking the extra points from his warband and um, expand with more Condish horsemen, which will probably drop your numbers slightly. But it'll give you it'll give you two chariot threats rather than one. Um, the and you just keep them, you know, basically one on either side of Rutabi and hope that Rutabi gets her free heroic moves off. Um, if you're going to stay with this particular loadout, one thing you can do is you, if you need a couple of extra points, you don't need seven black dragons in Rutabi's warband because the pipe that stands behind Rutabi does not need fight four. Um, so one thing you could do if you're going to keep the current loadout is you could flip that black dragon warrior with one of the pike and shield ordinary guys in the Easterling captain's warband. And that way you'll maximize the number of files that have fight for, because the Easterling captain doesn't need a black dragon behind him because he's already fight four. And Rutabi doesn't need a black dragon behind her because she's fight six. I have another uh, idea. That's just, that's just, a, that's just a minor tweak. If you want to keep this as far as kind of like maximizing your points and still getting the, the right number of um, fight four files. Um, how, much, how many points? Just a quick Rutabi? thing to throw in before Mick says his spiel. Sure. Um, the Easterling captain is actually fifty-five. You were correct, Rainier. Okay. Wow! For the first time, can we like screenshot this? Wow! <laughs> Thank you, Evan. I think you made my year. And, and the <laughs> the Kaddish <laughs> chieftain was what eighty-five? If he's on a chariot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. If I'm right, I'm two for two. Holy smokes, guys! Yeah. Wow. So probably there's a way to probably there's a way to jigger this, especially if you're going to save two points off of the getting rid of one of the black dragons mm -hmm. with Rutabi. Um, and if you had to, you could get another two points and downgrade the cataphract. Um, is you drop the Easterling captain, get another Condor's chieftain on chariot with like one horseman. 
think you can probably make those points work. I have another another idea. Because mm -hmm. um, uh, Rainier, you really like the kings. So, what if you were to actually replace Rutabi and keep the captain, keep the Australian captain, and then have two chariot kings? This mm. way, this way, you're fighting with two chariots with heroic strike, and your your main block is still still similar. You have you have less warriors in it, right? But then, but then you have two kings with additional warriors around. Yeah, I I just think you more of a hitting point, power. For for through my experience playing low points and playing against low points, the kings for forty more points that's eighty points. You don't get so 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 much out of them in like a small game i would rather have troops to be honest because i went against two kings and i think some other easterling at a 600 point and because the numbers were just too low and you had to point sink a lot into the horsemen they broke really easily if you just focus on the weak stuff okay mitigate the kings or maybe moves where they don't do so much damage and focus on the little stuff but it's it's, it's an idea mick i mean it's an idea I mean, okay. So look, to synthesize all of this, um, replacing Rutabi and the captain with the emperor is a way to go. Um, it creates kind of a different dynamic with the list. You're going to have a much tougher killer. Um, you're going to have fight five guys and a banner all over the place, but you're going to be eggs in one basket and you're only going to have five might. Um you could replace the Easterling captain with another Kondish chieftain on chariot, maybe a Kondish horseman. Gives you two chariots, but you still, your only striker is Rutabi. So that's still a bit of a problem. You could stay with what you have now, just re, you know, rejigger your black dragons around a little bit to make them slightly more efficient. Um, it'll probably work, but you still, Rutabi is your only striker. Um, or I think you could go with, with Mick's idea, um, which I actually kind of like. So, it's also not a perfect solution, as Rainier pointed out. Um, but then you have two striking chariots and then basically just kind of a, a captain with a pike block to kind of sit in the middle. And, um, you know, that that's the the anvil to the hammer. Um, I mean, that also has, you know, kind of two problems because I think that's probably going to be low on figure count um, by the time you're done. But all of these... All of these are ideas or ways to keep the chariot. I think if you are if you're just concerned with competitiveness, I think you want to ditch the chariot and you go Rutabi Emperor at 500 points. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you really want the chariot, there's a number of different ways you can you can play that. All of which probably will be less efficient than Rutabi Emperor, but you know, that's your call. Yeah. So I guess that's what basically play the emperor. Yeah, the emperors yeah. were all kind of shocked they weren't changing the FAQ. Yeah, I mean, because look, I mean, if you go Rutabi Emperor, then you get you get all sorts of black dragons for free and you know, all sorts of other stuff. And it's a power list. So there's a there's a there's a line in Warhammer 40k that, that goes, it is better to die for the Emperor than, than live for yourself. So <laughs> so, so we could change it here to something like it is better to play the Emperor. Competitively, I wonder who play, first said that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, the emperor. Then, then, then to play anything else for fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
So there we go. Now from this, from now we're going to go to the segment on competitiveness. Now this is kind of an interesting thought because some of you will probably say, can you be too competitive? Is there an idea of too competitiveness? And I know all four of us being competitive players who have played around the globe, we will all have different um, thoughts about the situation. So to play too competitively, to not play too competitively, what is a good sports? What is not? Uh, what do you guys think? Let's start with Mick. Right. So in my opinion, the line gets drawn if you're deciding to start pushing the rules to your advantage and kind of almost trying to do something where you can be seen as cheating or that isn't in like this sportsman like like the, like it doesn't have, it does it isn't done with like the spirit of sportsmanship so as long as you're playing fairly and as long as what you're doing is fair and honest then i think you can play as competitive as, as you want but 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 then there is a line that some people i i have seen in the past cross where um it's almost like it becomes less of a game more of a more of like life and death situation like they're really going for it to, to the point where like even even in like the most competitive abstract way it stops being fun for even the most competitive players so so can you def can you give us an All example right. yeah let's go go with some examples mm, well it's it it's kind of a it's kind of a close call almost between being too competitive and, and cheating like for example if you're pushing models around in such a way where like you're almost kind of displacing models and like by accident knocking them over but like you're trying to make it look like it, it, it was an accident but actually you knocked it to your advantage where you could be thinking that oh yeah well this is this is this is the the most optimal way that I could have moved the model but in fact you had an intention of cheating and and you're and you knocking over that model was there so that the model gets then placed into 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 a better position strategically for you um another example would obviously be if you're moving up to your six inch maximum move and then but actually you're moving like 6.2 6.5 and then oh i just did it accidentally but actually if you're if you're doing it intentionally and especially if you're if you're doing it more than once then it's it's kind of becoming like you're not actually being competitive you're not actually trying to win by fair means but but it's like you're actually cheating and it's just not cool so i mean i yeah, I think I, I, I think I think as long as as long as you're playing within the spirit of the rules and with it, and, and and like you're still you're still being you're, you're still being sportsmanlike, I don't think you can necessarily go too far with competitiveness. So that's that's interesting um, because you know you kind of used a subjective term like sportsmanlike, but I mean, so your your main criteria is one I think everybody can agree on, right? If you are acting contrary to not the spirit of the rules, but the letter of the rules, you are cheating. Yes. And that is, that is not being, that is not being competitive. That is cheating. And that is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think everybody can do that. Um, I I guess the issue for me is because you 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 invoked the phrase the spirit of the rules later on, which is different because you know it's it's subjective. I mean, everybody can know when somebody is acting outside the letter of the rules because the rules define the sure. limit, right? I can move yeah. six inches. If I'm moving six and a half inches with my infantry figure, I am outside the letter of the rules and I am cheating and mm-hmm. everybody knows. Um, you know, the, the question is, are there any circumstances when I am acting within the letter of the rules, um, when I am outside the spirit of the rules and therefore being too competitive? I think there are. And I'll yeah. give you an example of like real quick something that happened with me. I was at a tournament and I said like, okay, I'm gonna heroic uh, strike. I mean march. And they said, you're heroic striking. And I was like, well, well, no, like obviously my guys, your guys are like 24 inches away. I switched up, said march instead, and they're like, no, you're gonna heroic strike because you declared that first. Mm-hmm. So like in the letter of the rules, that is. I'm heroic striking because I declared that first, but like that, that I would mean, be ignoring the fact that you're physically incapable of calling a heroic strike in the move phase. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah I, that's, <laughs> but, but, but some, it's definitely but a very interesting, some, something um, like that. Or like you're actually trying like, to cheat there, Rainier. Like, come yeah, on, like, just admit it. Definitely big meta. This is real episodes on how to meta people. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like something where you would say, like, okay, I'm gonna heroic strike. I mean, I'm gonna heroic combat. Sorry for the confusion. And they'll be like, yeah, like you said, you're going to rogue strike. And you're like, oh, well, like, obviously, my guy's three fight higher than you. Why would I rogue strike? But the wording of it, that's what gets me is like when those quick little rules where, you know, like they're just trying to get you based off like Mm -hmm. you misspoke. We know there are a lot of like English language learners playing this game because it's a global game. But the dominant tournament language is English. That's what gets me too is like having players from, say, poland or spain or italy or something make a slip up and then someone be like oh the language you declared straight from the rules you have to do this because this is the language you used sure yeah. so that, so so that's like the classic case right of the um you know kind of take backsies on mistakes and there's a spectrum there and um the, the example you just gave is about as far on one end of the spectrum as it's possible to imagine where like somebody misspeaks and immediately corrects. And then the other person um, <laughs> yeah. tries to hold them to the, to the misspeaking. Uh, I had that, I had the situation once on a, on a, on, on like a 2000 player magic, the gathering tournament. And it took like 20 minutes for a judge to decide what, what the ruling was. Yep. <laughs> I would never like that to, to happen to anybody ever yeah. again. <laughs> All right, so can we get a show of hands from this podcast as to everybody who thinks that Rainier's opponent in that in that circumstance behaved correctly and in line with the code of conduct recently expressed in the latest edition of the rules? As expected, for those of you who are listening and not watching, none of us think that's acceptable behavior. And, um, I, I you know, for any for any of you out there listening who think that that was acceptable behavior when somebody says in the movement phase, uh, I'm going to heroic I'm going to heroic strike. Oh, I mean march, uh, holding them to calling a illegal heroic uh, in the 
in the movement phase. <laughs> judge, judge. If, if anybody agrees judge, with I that, I record. you are wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. So and I, I, th I think it is because you, you go from like really small cases to really extreme cases. Like I've seen a lot of people take advantage of new players, for example, at a competitive event like Nova and kind of lie about a scenario so they win or i've seen them also a new player will do something that doesn't apply like for example someone put something up to a siege and this is a story they told me and the new player after the round was like okay you destroyed it let me take it off the the, the competitive player no knew exactly that's not how the rules work i have to destroy it you can't just i tag something and take it off but they didn't say something about it and they allowed the new player to make those kind of decisions uh, that disfavored them. That's kind of also so, subjective, I guess, but it's like, it's like, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, so, so that's there's a different another example circumstance. Yeah. Hang on one second. Yeah. Cause that's a different circumstance. You just raised Rainier, which is someone is making a mistake. You know, they are making the mistake and you don't correct them. I, I want to put a pin on that in that and set it aside because that's, that's kind of a different discussion. It's a huge want, spectrum for that. Like a huge yeah, spectrum for that. I want to, I want to go back to the, somebody has made a mistake and attempts to correct it situation, um, which was mm -hmm. the first one. Um, and, and I want to pose a different hypothetical, um, which is someone is in the middle of a movement phase and it may be maybe a new player may not be, and that may or may not be relevant. Um, and uh, they cast a spell like say fury and they say, Oh, I want to channel that while they're moving the figure. Okay. Or not. Okay. I'd say that's okay. I would say it's okay. Well, this, when I play really competitively, I start out with how competitive do you want to be in the game? Do you want me to use the exact language by the rules or do you want both of us to give each other the benefit of doubt? And right. I do that even in the move phase where like with a competitive player, hey, my intention right now is to be six more than six inches away from your characters. Maybe they happen to be five and like three quarters. The player would then be like, oh, they're actually five and three quarters later in the game. Okay, let me take it back if that's okay. But we agreed on that beforehand. Same with another player. I could be like, hey, did you realize... I'm within charge range of this. And I know you didn't do this on purpose. The intention, like in the beginning of the game where we talked about, oh yeah, I'm sorry, like you're not. So it's, I don't know. So, I mean, to go back to the original hypothetical, right? So somebody mm -hmm. has, somebody has missed the opportunity to call a channel and then wants to call a channel. Um, yeah. So this one is, this is one of the ones that's kind of on the edge for me. And it really matters whether the the player knows what they're doing or not. And the reason is for me, in some circumstances, that would have changed how the game was played. Like, for example, if somebody is going to cast like compel or transfix and then says at that point, oh, I'm going to channel this. Um, had I yeah. known that he was going to, I mean, Fury is kind of a different question because really, if somebody's going to channel Fury, I'm probably, you know, that's, I'm probably that's, that's not going to call an active mistake that they're making. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to call a heroic move to try and stop that. But if it's like a heroic channel or, or I'm sorry, a heroic compeller or, or um, a channel compeller, channel transfix, there are certain circumstances under which 
I might then respond with a heroic move to try and go first and interfere with that caster. I mean, what I typically do in that circumstance when somebody says they're going to channel later or, or by this often comes up also with March, like when you're, when you're 24 inches away and somebody goes, Oh, I'm going to call a March. And you know, they do it in your move phase after you've already gone. Um, What I will usually do in that circumstance is, you know, I'll, I'll remind the player um, that they need to call at the beginning of the phase. I'll tell them why, because in certain circumstances, you're declaring that particular heroic will cause a reaction from me um, and how I'm going to do it. But I'm going to say, look, in this circumstance, that doesn't matter right now. So go ahead and do it. Just remember it when we're going to, when we're playing the game. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that's how I do it in those circumstances. Um, I realize both of them, like it's, it's important to have that dialogue with your opponent, regardless of, you know, it, you know, them, or you don't know it, like set precedents for the game to where you guys don't come up with a really, really juicy situation and be like, well, I want to do this. And I I don't, it's like set, set the tone in the beginning of the game. I'd suggest. Yeah. I mean, that, that differs from the example you gave where you're like, I'm going to hurt strike. Oh, I mean, March, nothing's Mm -hmm. changed. Right. I mean, the other guy still has all the options to react to your March that he had back when you said heroic strike. Um, And the game hasn't changed as opposed to the situation where like, you know, water has passed under the bridge. um, And, you Mm -hmm. know, you're in a certain circumstance where toothpaste can't be put back in the tube without kind of modifying everybody's moves and stuff like that. Um. I guess for me in the, for me, that's the criteria in those mistake circumstances is, is this something where we can effectively unwind it and correct your mistake? And if we can unwind it and correct your mistake, and then I get all the opportunities to react, nobody's rolled any dice that have changed the effect of the game. Um, then that's fine with me. Um, if, if on the other hand, you know, you know, stuff has happened where I kind of, I've made decisions based on, their mistake then i think it is then i think you're legitimately in a position where you can say it's too late um with the caveat that if you're playing with an inexperienced player you should you should definitely push this line as far as possible to you know because they're going to make mistakes and if they feel that they're playing in a game where somebody's just going to call gotcha whenever they make a mistake um then that's that's not they're not having fun and they're not going to come back and that's not what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, so let's go to the other, let's go to the other circumstance that you just raised um, Rainier, which geez, I've now forgotten. What was the, what was the circumstance? I think one was uh, bending the rules. Against no, a, not the, all right. So not not no, bending the rules. I think right? it was the um, I think it was the the I forgot sort of thing, or like the not not reminding people. Oh about, yes. Um, Basically, not yeah. So this is the you know that the other player doesn't know the rule and how it's working, and you basically allow him to make a mistake. Yeah, I'm interested to get people's thoughts on that because that's so, there is a specific one. example for that, like. He, uh, heroes calling a uh, heroic move and then declaring with me or not because a very common thing among less experienced players is that the assumption is there that you always call with me unless you declare not to uh, I so... mean that's how I assume it too I think generally people will go 
okay, I'm calling a heroic move, and then they move their models. And then yeah. if they don't want to call with me, they will specifically they will... state, okay, yes. I am not calling with me in this instance. And However, think, strictly strictly reading the rules kind is the of opposite. a low blow. Yeah. 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 We're reading the rules, and we're talking, I've seen a lot of uh, players try that, you know? Yeah. Try to bend the rules and strictly read the rules. That's where it gets kind of interesting. What are your all thoughts on that? So, so that's the thing. So, I had a situation specifically at the ATC a few years ago where, arguably, I won the game because I called my opponent on not calling with me after after he moved with his Witch King and Fell Beast. And in that specific situation, it was I think top or second table on a on like a big very very competitive event. And I was playing against a very experienced player. And so we both agreed that it was fine afterwards. And like he saw that it was a mistake and he sort of admitted that, like, yeah, that's fine because because he didn't declare. But in any other circumstances, I would say always check and always allow it. Because like you can't assume that everybody knows every single rule. So always check what they want to do. And I would normally just go, okay, are you calling with me? Sure. Okay. Love your models. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I have to I say, would, and go ahead. Go ahead. I'm I, sorry. I would never pull that on anyone ever. I don't think. I would never say, oh, you didn't call with me, so you can't move people. I, I get that, like, you know, that's, um, it's sort of, it's a similar thing with, like, you know, where you've got, um, a, a model with like burly and two-handed and they've also got a single-handed sword and then they don't specifically declare that they're going two-handed so you go oh well you didn't declare that you, you're going two-handed so uh you don't get the plus one it feels like that sort of thing where it's just like semantics for the purpose of semantics when everybody knows sort of what you were intending to do or what you were doing so i personally wouldn't call people on it um a lot of times i won't say that I'm declaring with me because my opponent knows I'm default. declaring with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know I'm default. declaring with yeah. me. Um, yeah. So like if if someone tried to pull that on me, and especially if they succeeded, I would probably be pretty salty about that. And I think it would definitely decrease my play experience to know that like my opponent is going that deep. But I mean, I guess if that's... If that's fine with both you and your opponent, then yeah, then you can yeah. I think I think that. it was in that specific circumstance that we were both fine with that. But generally, like the assumption should be there that it's always with me unless somebody says it isn't. Right. I mean, the only circumstance I think being persnickety over with me is important is if somebody has moved the figure without you know in a circumstance, you know, in a circumstance where it's you know. There, there's a legitimate strategy either way, right? And they've moved the figure, and then it is not clear who is within the six-inch radius and who is not. Sure. And I think the solution in that circumstance is, look, if you fail the call with me and we didn't measure who is within and who's who's without, then all ambiguity goes to the other player, right? Um, you know, if it's, if it's to your disadvantage for that extra guy to be in and we don't know at this point, then he's in. If it's to your disadvantage for him to be out, then he's out. Um, and, you know, because you yeah. failed to measure. It, it, it is hard. And I, I like how Mick kind of mentioned, though, like the rankings of where you play. Like, I feel like e, that that event is probably one of the most competitive in the world. Um, 
if you us in the states we have nova it's actually not it's competitive but it's not like extremely competitive um but besides that we have a lot of like themed build your community get people in the game kind of events and like if you saw that at like one of our tournaments we would just be like whoa like i i don't know man i don't know like billy who you're playing against has only played the game once and he's playing like the dead <laughs> legion like like i don't know you're gonna make it bad for billy <laughs> yeah um so so yeah here's another twist on that right and this i think has implications the code of conduct in the new set of rules now states that you have an obligation to point out rules to your opponents even when pointing out those rules is not in your favor mm -hmm. um and you know, in your circumstance Mick, it's not clear that that counts because you know it's not clear that he forgot the rule to you, right? I mean, he could have been intending just to not call with me. Um, Clearly, but there's yeah. <laughs> there are circumstances where that's not true, right? Like yeah. banners. Um, the, uh, banners are the clearest circumstance where I think this new code of conduct applies. If your opponent is within banner range and he is forgetting that, just remind I, I think you are now obligated to tell them that figure is within banner range. You need to reroll. That is how I've been interpreting it. Yeah, um, that, that's also the way that like I've been playing it. I think I think everybody I ever I always played against played the same way that like you just remind yourself about banners. Yeah, I, I mean I I didn't. I mean that or I mean or at least that's not how it was played. Generally, I will remind other players. Certainly, I will remind other players unless they're like top tier competitors. But I think because I, I I know I have forgotten banners many in many times, and people have not reminded me. Um, but, uh, I think, I think now there is an obligation that if there's something that creates a reroll or gives a plus one or something like that, and it's, it's not a tactical decision, right? There's, there's no reason not to give the plus one, you know, your, your opponent mm -hmm. is not thinking, you know, uh, I'm going to make a conscious decision not to do the plus one. You are obligated to remind your opponent, no, my model's dead because he got a plus one. I, I, yeah, I think victory points too, you're obligated to remind your 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 opponent of the victory points they get. Because in the States, there's like a lot of scenarios and people don't really get them when they're first starting. And I've seen players, when you're going over the end game, okay, like I got this many victory points on the scenario because of this. And the opponent might say, oh, I got this many victory points because of this. And they're missing an aspect of it where they lose like two or three victory points and the opponent knowing that they don't know it are like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. I know that controversy. Yeah, but that's, that's like, that's like straight up cheating. It's uh, come up before though. Like it's so yes and no. Right. Because I, I, I have, I have undercut myself because I just kind of went through the victory points quickly with my opponent and realized that I, and you know, and forgot you know, forgot that I get a, I, I mean, I can't remember what it was. I, like, I forgot I got a, I got one point for some, because I I also had, you know, we each got like one point extra because we each had banners at the end or something like that. And you just don't necessarily think about that. And and look, sometimes, especially if we're going quickly, we're going to forget stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to jump down people's throat and make assumptions that just because people play a lot, they're never going to make mistakes in this because we do. Mm -hmm. Um, which mm -hmm. is why I've, which is why I've started when we're doing victory points, regardless, you know, somebody will say, well, all right, this is a 10 to me, right. Or a, a 10 to you. Right. 
I'm going to say, no, we're, we're going to get out the book and we're going to walk through <laughs> yeah, every one of these. <laughs> and, you know, I don't care how sure we are of the outcome. We're going to do this anyway. And I think that's really how you ought to do it because, um, you know, if, you know, A, you don't want to make a mistake and B, especially if you're a competitive player, you don't want to be blamed for making an intentional mistake when you actually made an honest mistake. And the mm-hmm. way to avoid that is you, when you're done with the game, you whip out the book and you go through every victory point and make sure it's properly allocated, mm-hmm. regardless of circumstance, regardless of how sure you are that you're right. So, sure, that makes sense. But, um, yeah. So, but there was another circumstance that somebody, and I think it was you raised earlier, Rainier, or maybe it was Mick. Um, and this is one that's definitely a gray line for me. And this is when someone is making a tactical mistake. I mean, there, there is this, there is this classic, I can't remember who said it, but there's this classic phrasing from military history. And I don't know whether this was Napoleon or somebody else who said, never interrupt an opponent when they're making a mistake. Um, And you end up in these situations where, someone is making a tactical mistake and it may be because they misunderstand the rules or they've forgotten a rule or whatever. And so the classic one, I'm trying to think of a classic example of this. Um, All right. I'll throw it. What I've done sometimes is that uh, sometimes my opponent will just like forget to cast spells right yes and like they'll move their model and they won't cast the spell um and depending on you know how the game's going like how competitive the game is i will either either i will just like say absolutely nothing and go oh okay you didn't cast a spell moving on or i will remind them and ask you know are you going to cast a spell this turn um you know what what do you want to do anything else with them those sorts of things um just to sort of like because if they're a new player just to jog their memory and remind them that yes you do have spells that you can use and, so, and by the way one of his opponents who forgets to cast spells is me Devin. oh and you yes yeah. you and Devin. um i have reminded multiple times in uh, not tournament games but practice games like you know are you are you casting spells with this yeah. model um and most of the times it's Oh God! Right? Yeah, I'm definitely doing that. <laughs> yeah. It will, um, yeah, it, it so will that... definitely become relevant later today when we when we talk about one of the FAQs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's a great example, right? Um, so that's that's a circumstance where somebody is not kind of misapplying a rule, and you can, you know, you know he's misapplying it, and you can correct him, and even if it's, even if it's you know against you to do so. But, yeah, or, or or the basic like they leave a flank kind of out and you can like croak combat into it and then like kill their denethor or like kill their like uh legless or something through the combat and stuff like yeah. stuff like that i don't think is like you don't need to explain one by one oh it'd be better if you do this actually it'd be better if you do that don't do this because this will mess you up you're not teaching someone the game but i think those one things like maybe a player's playing lothlorian with shield and they think they're defense five and you know they're defense six and they're taking their models off as if they're defense five like i think you're obligated to be like actually no 
you're newer to the game or you just don't realize um, your Lothlorien, like Gladrum, they're actually defensive. So I'm not killing them. Something like that's more applicable. Yeah. And by the way, I think that falls, I think you are now obligated to do that regardless of player skill because of the, you know, you must correct an opponent's errors in the rules, uh, even when it's it's not in your favor to do so. Yeah, but it's but, an error in the rule, not the error in tactics. Yeah, no, I, I, like, I, like, I like how I like that how you phrase that though, Matt. Though, like you're supposed to correct the error of your opponent even when it's in your favor. I think that phrase kind of like knocks it right on the nose for me. Yeah. Yep. Um. So, uh, but you know, but yeah, I mean, the the forgetting to cast the spells. Another one that I see a lot is people who do not heroic strike in circumstances where it's suicidal to not heroic strike. Um, and I think you need to make a call there in your head head as to, um, you know, is, is this a circumstance where we're going to take this as a teaching moment, you know, and you are going to, you know, you're going to provide tactical advice to your opponent in a circumstance um, where, you know, obviously it's not to your, it's never to your advantage to give good tactical advice to an opponent. Um, but I'm going to basically, I'm going to do this cause I'm going to invest in the game. Right. And, you know, this is something where, you know, this is somebody I may play again. This is somebody I want to play again and I want them to have a good experience playing. So I'm going to tell them, look, you know, the way you would play this game is to do it kind of this way. And he needs to strike here. Um, and you know, that's a circumstance where I think Look, if you're on if you're on top tables at Articon, that is not a correction you need to make because the assumption is that if somebody gets the top tables at Articon, um, the tactical their tactical decisions are their own, mm -hmm. and you're entitled to take advantage of whichever ones are bad. Um, but you know, if you're if you're playing, you know, if you're <laughs> you're playing at the bottom tables at Articon or, you know, it's first round at Nova and you're, you're playing, you know, somebody, you know, doesn't have a lot of experience or whatever. That's when you may want to think about correcting them. And, you know, and, and look to their credit, a lot of people, when I tell them that will be okay. Yep. Thanks for pointing that out, but you know what? I didn't call it. So let's go ahead and, and play the game. And I know for next time, which if somebody ever points that out to you is the correct way to do that. Um, and and go from there. So I had a situation years ago when something similar happened, where uh, my opponent made a terrible mistake. But the sort of mistake where I was like, okay, if you if you actually want to do this, then like I will feel bad winning. And so I just told them, can you actually do something else? Because if you do this other thing, I cannot win. But if you do this thing, then I'm probably going to win. So I just really felt bad for such a bad mistake. And I just asked my opponent to play correctly. And then that actually like led to a really good experience afterwards and a yep. good, good fun after the game. And so, yep. yeah, I was just like, please don't do this because it's, it's hurting me if you, if you do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, at least one one way I've kind of developed to deal with this situation to kind of like allow me to sleep at night afterwards when I'm in these situations where you know, look, it's a legitimate competitive, it's a legitimate competitive uh, situation. And, and look, I mean, the, 
these games are won and lost by mistakes. So, you know, it, and, it, and, you know, capitalizing on your opponent's mistakes is part of the way you win the game. So, but when you're in a situation where, you know, somebody's making an obvious mistake and you know that they're making it, or at least you think that they're making it because they just, you know, haven't learned the game to the, to the point that they should is when they make the decision, you say, are you sure? And leave this pregnant pause <laughs> and, and, you know, allow them to allow them to think about it because that will tell them that I think that they are making a mistake without me necessarily telling them what it is. Um, and yeah. that's, that may be a way to go when you're in a competitive situation, which, you know, is not to say that if you're playing somebody who's new to the game and they don't understand how special strikes work and they're not calling a special uh, or, or a, a heroic strike works and they're not calling a heroic strike, you should just tell them, look, this is a circumstance when you don't play, want to play heroic strike. But, you know, if you're in, you know, kind of a competitive situation where it really matters who wins and who loses and but you think somebody is making a mistake there that just because they they don't know the rules to the same extent you do, then you can say, are you sure? And let them think it through. I mean, that may be a, a way to a middle ground there. Or, to, or, or, or if you like, because like if you're going against a super competitive player and you don't want to give away that they made a mistake, you can also ask, and I'm not saying a rules mistake, but like, like a deployment mistake or something that's going to go to your advantage. I always say, are you finished? Or would you like to do anything else? Like, let's say they forgot to do something that you know it's going to be beneficial to them. You can be like, would you like to declare anything else? Would you like to do anything else? Are you finished? Okay, now it's my turn. Because that's the clarification if you're playing a really, really competitive game to be like, oh, no, no, no. They go, oh, I, I actually want to do this. You could say like, okay, I asked though to clarify and stuff like that. So if you are a super competitive player, just do those clarifying questions. Yeah, but I'm also curious what people think because we reviewed a list from Sweden. We've had... Uh, guests on from Italy, like Australia, Germany, the UK. We had, had one from Greece the other week. So, yeah. So it's like, I'm actually really curious what all your different thoughts on this are because I know, like, our podcast, we have a lot from all over the world, but we're kind of dominated by the East Coast meta in the United States. And I think, like, we, like Matt, myself, Evan, Devin, even uh, anyone else, like, we, we kind of have an understanding, like, don't do that. We don't, we don't do that here. You, you know what I mean? There are these unspoken rules where we're like, come on, half of the people are like new players. Let's let's not do that. Well, let's see if we can speak the rule, right? Because unspoken rules, while people mm -hmm. use them all the time, are not terribly helpful because you can't communicate them to other people who don't understand them. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put Nick on the spot first. Like if you had to articulate what your test is between competitive too competitive and acceptable what would it be just don't be an asshole all right that's fair that's evan what's yours i mean yeah i feel like mick sort of hit the nail on the head there um just just don't be an a-hole uh, don't like you know don't try and bend the rules to your advantage um give people the benefit of the doubt um and uh, if the person is less experienced at the game um, or is new to the game, then uh, then uh, help them out. But I mean, don't like let them win the game, but 
help them out um, in, in case they're making like some sort of very obvious mistake. All right, Rainier. Yeah, mine kind of goes along with all of it, but I would say don't just win games off technicalities because you're going to lose on friends. And I, I always feel bad actually for those players who are kind of like socially like, oh, we don't like that player because like it's, it's, it's bad for them. But you always have to think like, don't just win all your games on technicalities. Uh, make friends, talk about it during the game, set precedence in the beginning to be like, this is my expectation of the game, how I play, what is your expectation? Let's meet in the middle. So yeah, just don't, any phrase you take home, don't win on technicalities because you'll lose friends. Yeah. So, look, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything everybody just said. What I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and turn this into a test, like an internal test that you can use to determine if you're being an asshole or not. Um, and in my head, it's you should be playing every game as if you're playing it against your best friend uh, or in my case, a family member. And, you know, if this is, if, if what you're going to do to your opponent is something you would not do if you were just going to be playing a pickup game against your best friend, um, then you shouldn't do it, right? And the reason is that at the end of the day, we're all playing a game. Um, this is this is not, you know, this is not a business deal where there are multi-million dollar stakes this is not a sport where, um, you know, where we're professionals and we're trying to earn money and reputation at this. This is a game and we're playing the game to have fun. And if we're walking away from that table, um, you know, wondering, well, geez, you know, did I do the right thing? Then that's, that's, you know, that probably wasn't fun for you. It probably wasn't fun for your opponent. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we, we failed in what we set out to do, which was to go out and have fun. Um, now, look, there are going to be people who are a-holes who are listening to this, who are saying, but that's the way I play against my best friend. And if, if that's you, I'm sorry, we can't help you. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that's that, you know, there, there are people in the world who are like that. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're kind of, if you're kind of, on the fence there and trying to figure out whether the way you play or, or how to react in a certain circumstance is, I mean, the, the test I would apply is like, look, if, you know, is this something I would do to Evan? No, then I'm not going to do it. So, and you can, you can kind of apply that test for yourself. Can, I can also just yeah. add, add one more thing where like pretty much, well, all of us on this podcast have won small and big tournaments. And to me, it's like, at the end of the day, despite you winning all everything, it's like, it doesn't really matter that we won all these things. So there isn't really like, it doesn't matter whether you won or lost a game or, or won or lost a tournament. Like, because we're we're okay. all adult we're all adults that play with toy soldiers, right? Yeah. You know, none of the none of this has real stakes. None of yeah. this matters. None of it matters. Um, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's you you should you should be fine to go to a tournament and lose or play a game and lose. If you go into a game thinking to yourself, "I can't lose this," 
something's wrong and maybe you need to take a step back <laughs> and uh and kind of reevaluate your 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 goals in life um uh you should every time you walk up to a table you should walk up to the table going, look it's perfectly fine if i lose this game and i'm still gonna have a good time in doing it yeah i, I suppose perhaps the question you should ask ask yourself is if i win this game will i will i be able to to put that win onto my dating profile if isn't the answer that always <laughs> no <laughs> I mean... yeah yeah when it comes to that Nick, like we always do like, let's yeah. be honest we all got in the game after we got married because we had a chance <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> no but, but I, I i do want to bring it back to like the spirit of the game and like for those new players like the game was basically dead for a long time and it took like the community in the uk to kind of like revise it back to become what it is right now and i i just i don't think it was the solely just the glory on getting technicalities of wins i think a lot of it was like the lasting friendships you made the community you got involved with and stuff like that so take take that into consideration yeah that's true i mean what's going to stay with the the, th the things that have value from playing this game are not the trophies you take home it's the friends that you make and yeah if you're like, gonna... like matt and i are i, I i'd argue we're like some of the top competitive players in the United States with like achievements and just playing. And one of my favorite games with him is like when we were exhausted, we had no idea what was going on. We were like pushing models forward, forgetting our rules and stuff like that. But it's because we took like the, the, the mechanics weren't the most important thing. We like knew that like, this is going to last longer or whatever. Yeah. The real, the real SPG is the friends you made along the way. Yep. And That's the true. souls you crushed. That's right. Yes. But I and, know a lot of competitive players are going to be watching this being like, no, I think that this is too soapy. And like, <laughs> like make friends, like go to the bars and the pubs afterwards and be friendship and like, let us be multicultural and like great with everybody. No, I understand some people are extremely competitive. Just don't take advantage of new players. That's my one thing. Yeah. All right. So let's now talk about the FAQ and all of its broad changes <laughs> what all do you guys the changes all, all right. of the changes all half of let's, the changes let's have a look so let's start with the more the, with the most controversial one that's um FAQ for the war in Rohan uh so we scroll all the way down in magenta there are no changes okay so moving right along moving along to scouring of the shire uh, nothing okay <laughs> next the quest of the ring bearer this yeah this is a big one uh nothing next up we have the match play guide okay so in the match play by play guide there is an errata in storm the camp the campsite replace the first paragraph with the following the campsites are the deployment areas of the two armies a campsite is captured if at the end of the turn, uh, if at the end of the game, you have more models entirely within your opponent's campsite than they do. Okay. So, so I, I always thought that was the case. Uh, no, you. Oh, could, entirely. Well, is that is is that the change? No, it it's the if at the if at the end of the game because you could capture the campsite and then the other guy could ah, capture yes. it back. Yes. I can't remember if there was any practical implication of that. Um, yeah, there is there is a bit where like people sometimes play that once they've captured it, then they basically ticked off the 
the objective and then they went okay well yeah. even if it's been captured back i've already captured it in this game so it counts what, as captured was it that or because i because i never played it that way i played you could capture it back yeah but, no, I've, um, I, I've seen someone maybe on facebook arguing about it at some point so, but yeah, I, I've, there was I've, I've seen games where uh people would go in storm the camp and then they would they would just walk their models away and then they would say at the end of the game that oh yeah i stormed the camp so they still get the points still um, get the points i think mm -hmm. i feel like this was clarified at some other point that that's not how you play but i think they're just like putting it into a more like concrete form i guess Maybe. so the other reason it may matter is there's that rule well if you're within your camp you um you don't have to you know you automatically pass courage tests and I wonder if people were saying, you know, once the camp was stormed, um, no longer you lose your camp? that benefit. Yeah, it's no longer your camp, so uh, yes. you lose that benefit. I don't think I played it that way either. I'm just wondering whether that was an implication. But now we know it's your camp until the end of the game. And if the, he has more figures in it than you do, then it becomes his camp and he gets the victory points. Sure. Cool. So moving on, uh, we have Gondor War with no changes oh yeah actually the designer's commentary has august written on it august 2022 which shows that there was there weren't any changes in february mm -hmm. same for the fall of necromancer okay defense of the north first update um when grim baron transforms into bear form does the bear model have to be centered over the man model or does it only need to be overlapping part of the man model the answer is the bear model only needs to be overlapping part of the man model. So when Green Baron transforms into a bear, the bear model must be placed so that it is not displacing any models if possible. So I, I think as long as you are not displacing somebody by doing it, mm -hmm. um, you can have you can place the bear so that only an edge of um you know, it, it, it's only overlapping just the barest edge of the Grimbjorn man figure. So that, that, that effectively, it? yeah, that effectively you gain additional You, you gain a couple inches. Yeah. yeah. So you can, um, you can move, change into a bear and then charge with the bear. Although, um, hmm. and that, that solves, by the way, the inability to transform situation. Um, because if, you know, if Grimbjorn is standing next to a, you know, on, if there's a house immediately to Grimbjorn's left, which under the old circumstance, Grimbjorn couldn't transform because part of his model would be where the house was. Mm -hmm. Um, he can just have the bear appear all the way to his right so he can transform. Sure. But then in, in that case, do we think that that means that you gain the extra movement or are you still limited by the maximum move that? The, yeah, I think you gain the extra which movement. which you can make because what's what's uh what's the man model's move move distance six six and then, I mean, and, then it, and then the bear is eight so even if you if you did gain the two extra inches like the the model has moved a maximum of eight anyway so no, you, I, don't, I don't I don't think that it has I think it's like dismounting where that dismount doesn't count as movement um like if if you're on I, if you're on I class, believe that's correct yes because um, yeah. I mean, I think what you can do is you can put the base anywhere and then you move your eight inches from that. Right. Um, it's sort of like when you turn the Mumak and you like you get extra inches from because the base is like an oval base. 
So it basically gives you extra movement for free. I'm I was pretty sure they they fixed that because um now the max still a noble base. Yeah, but I mean, if let's say if you were if you were uh, dismounting a calf and then jumping into combat, you can still move a maximum of ten from the from the place you started. You can't jump off and you actually then, only move and, a, a maximum then, of six and get extra. Yeah, you can only move. You can only get a maximum of six if you're going to dismount and move into combat. But you measure that six from where the dismount gets placed on the board, and the dismount can get placed on the board anywhere in contact with the mounted model. So it's actually you can also it's actually six move your ten. You can also move your ten and then dismount afterwards by placing your model in contact with the cavalry base, which will give you a little bit more. Movement. Yes, but then but then you can't dismount into combat. That's correct. You cannot you can dismount. Say, if it, it is the eleventh inch. You can't dismount into the combat. Yeah, okay. But you right. can grab an objective that way. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It's just it's just a whole thing of dismounting into into combat that used to be quite a controversial thing. Yeah. So but you can still you still get the you effect, effectively get the extra move yeah. sure. that you get by placing the figure on the table for free. And I think yeah, it's no, the that same makes sense. That makes sense. Cool. Um next one is if Grim Grimbeorn has to displace models when he transforms, can this force models out of combat or into combat with another model if they would end up in base counter with an, with an enemy model? That's a no to both instances. Models that were in combat when displaced will remain in combat with the models they are engaged with. In the odd situation, the model would be displaced into base contact with an enemy model. They will not count as being in combat with that model unless they subsequently charge that model. Okay. So next up we have, can Grimbeorn transform into a bear before he moves uh, onto the board in scenarios where this applies? No. In order to be able to transform you have to be on the board yep. and the last one is when using the assault on the Florian legendary legion do the faqs that affect the dark of night special rule from the clash by moonlight scenario also apply to the cover of darkness special rule and that's a yes okay and that's all there is for defense of the north big changes to grim Bjorn. yeah Film at 11. Then we are moving on to Armies of the Lord Rings. Going, 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 going. Okay, here we go. Page 87. Galatrim Warrior Wargin replace Elven Mate Sword with Elven Mate Hand and a Half Sword. That makes sense. Uh, Galadrim Knight. Sorry, uh, Galadrim Knight. Warrior. Yes. Galadrim Knight. Important difference because Galadrim 100... Warrior has that. Yep. 141, Goth McLennan of Sauron. Work to replace sword with mace or sword. So you get to use a mace with Gothmog. And that's all the changes. We are moving into Armies of the Hobbit. Does Jirion, Lord of Dale's Windlands, trained special rule, allow him to count as a trained crew when, when firing a friendly Windlands? Um... So yes, he counts as a trained crew. Next up, we have when Baron transforms into bear form. That's the same FAQ question as before. Same again, the next one, if Baron has to displace models. And same question for Baron. Okay, then we go, can the Spire Queen use her progeny special rule while she's engaged in combat? No, she cannot 
make extra little spiders when she's fighting. She cannot give birth while fighting. She is trying to save herself for her life. Okay, and the final changes as the Middle-Earth Strategy Battle Game Rules Manual. Do the likes of inanimate objects such as a siege engine, demolition charge, the Mirror of Galadriel, and so on count as a model for the purpose of an army's breakpoint or for holding objectives? No, they are not warriors after all. So now we got to look for the animate versus inanimate keywords in the models? <laughs> yeah. What? I don't suppose there would be anything else. Yeah. Some special rules, such as the Goblin King's Blubbery Moss or Malbeth the Seer's Gift of Foresight, allow models to ignore wounds on a dice roll as if a point of fate had been spent, can might be used to alter such rolls. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Interesting. I That was not how I played it. I, I, I thought that's, that's how it always worked. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's how a lot of other people played it, and I think that's how mm -hmm. I played it. So yeah, I'm glad they clarified that. Mm -hmm. yeah, I have a question about it's, that. It's the like, same thing with, with, with Fury, right? You can you can modify Fury roll. But in, yeah, in not that anybody uh, does that anymore. Right. No, of course. But in Lords of Battle, um, it says allow ignore runes as if a point of fate has been spent. Do you still get that point if you try to wound them and they ignore it, but you still get that one? I think there is a specific FAQ for Lords of Battle with that specific question being asked yeah. and the and the answer was a no. Uh yeah, you know, it's interesting cuz I'm actually now that I'm thinking back on this, I'm not sure I've ever had anybody try and do this cuz in most circumstances people will use you know, they'll they'll use the bullberry mass first and then use fate and and then if that doesn't work, they'll just roll fate to see if if that works, but you know, I guess if you're out of fate um uh, then this would come up. I'm not trying. Yeah. I'm not trying. Ever actually had this circumstance arise where somebody said I want to use might on this. So, okay, moving on. If a model with a spear was supporting a hero uh, model that declared a heroic combat, and the hero subsequently charged another enemy model whilst remaining in base contact with their original spear support, can the model with the spear support support them again? Uh, no. Next yeah, okay, one. That makes sense. If a model armed with a spear is engaged in a fight, and after the fight is resolved, they find themselves in base contact with another friendly model, such as if they back away, can they still spear support even though they have already been involved in a fight? No, because they've already been involved in a fight. Um, the only exception to this is if the spear armed model was engaged in a fight, though not supporting alongside a friendly hero model oh, okay. who successfully declared a heroic combat. In which case, after moving as part of the heroic combat, the spirit art model could provide support in the second combat. So basically, if you've supported already, you cannot support a second fight. But if you fought, you can you can move to support. Yeah, if you fought in a heroic combat, you can support again later, which is, I think, yeah. how, I think how that's normally done. That's how it's normally always been done, yeah. Uh, in what order are special strikes and shielding declared? Ah, this is this has always been a controversial one. I will shield if you piercing strike, or you will piercing strike if I if I shield. <laughs> um, during a dual roll, the player with priority gets the first opportunity to, de to declare their model's special strikes, though they can choose to pass if they wish. The player without priority then gets the opportunity to declare their model's special strikes. 
If they also pass, then the dual roll takes place and no further special strikes can be declared. If they opt to declare any special strikes, then their opponent may then choose to respond by declaring any special strikes if able. This continues until both players have finished declaring special strikes. It is important to note that once a model has declared a special strike of any kind, they cannot change their mind after an opposing model declares a special strike. Uh, treat shielding as a special strike for the purposes of deciding the order that they are declared. Okay, so this this finally clears it up for, for everybody. It's uh, based on priority. And you get to pass or declare. Wait, was this was this really like a big thing? I mean, this this was a massive thing on the internet many many times, and never okay. actually never actually in practice never resolved. All right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it, it would never come up in in actual games. Okay. But, yeah. All right. That's. <laughs> but, but the internet was always very loud about it. But there was a shouting match online. About yes. It. Okay. <laughs> um. Next one. If a model has a special rule that allows specific friendly models, such as those with the required keywords or profile names. To count is in range of a banner. Do those specific models have to be in range of the model with a special rule? Or do they just need to be involved in a fight that is in range of the model with a special rule? In these instances, it is important to remember that the model with a special rule is not actually a banner themselves. As a result, the models that count as in range of a banner must themselves be within range of the model with a special rule in order to benefit from it. Additionally, only the models that benefit from such a special rule may reroll a dice in the dual role. So it is important to make a note of which dice can be uh, can benefit and which ones cannot. So this is an interesting I one, I think. Because I don't see. I never had an issue with this. Like, yeah, nor I. I, I think that seems like the mo the only way to like rule that um, is that you measure through these specific well, models. Yeah, but it was like if. If a model counted as being in range of a banner, then technically their whole fight count has right. always counted in range of a banner. Wasn't yes. that changed already? Wasn't yeah, it was, but once like fixed. Once they changed that, so all right, so they changed that with regular banners, and I think this is saying, but you know, if you have a special rule that says it counts as a banner, it actually works differently, and you need to measure the individual figures. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, these. These things irritate me to no end where they have, you know, I, I, I understand if you're going to create a rule and then you can say, all right, we meant it to work slightly differently than the way it actually was worded as written. Um, that's fine if you want to do that. But then if you have like a parallel circumstance like this, when you say, but no, in this circumstance, it actually works the other way. That just that just annoys the heck out of me. It's <laughs> this is so there's complexity with you know, there's complexity with a point that adds to the game, and then there's complexity for complexity's sake. And this is complexity for complexity's sake. Mm -hmm. Um I, I I don't know. This this is annoying. I mean, I, mean I, I get it. I under I understand why they're saying it this way, but if you're gonna make if you're gonna make one change to the the intuitive way it would work why not just change them both so that it works the same way mm -hmm. i mean the the only the only time i think this really applies is for like lake down and elves where lake down are in range of the master supporting an elf and then there is a 
tight combat against an Easterling or something like something like that. Well, uh, I mean, if you're, then, if you're allying like fiefdoms into Gondor, yeah. or allying the Dragon Emperor into something, or taking the Cond into Easterlings, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a bunch of circumstances, and yeah. there's like circumstances where I think the Mumak counts as a banner. Um, I can't remember if it's just a banner for his own guys or whatever. So, and actually, so yeah. All right, so. I think the Mumak counts as a banner for everybody, right? Is is that right? yeah, like like Aragorn counts as a banner for everybody. Right. So so now you actually have this situation where if it was an actual banner, like say all right, so say you've got um you know Bormir of the White Tower with his banner. If his six in if he's within six inches of anybody in a fight, everybody in the fight can use the banner. But if it's Aragorn who counts as a banner, in uh, you know counts as a six-inch banner, then specific figures need to be within his six inches, and only they can re-roll. Yeah, but that's, do I have that, that right? Yeah, but that's that's only going to be relevant if only one model of that fight is in combat. Exactly right, but because, you, because, you because still if there are two, to... you can always re-roll the other dice. Well, no, because sometimes there are circumstances where like you you each roll a you each roll a five and you mm -hmm. don't want to re-roll that five. Yeah, yeah. You want to re-roll something else. But but I mean if let's say you have you have two models fighting against one, if both of your models are gonna be in, then then it's irrelevant. But but if one is, then you need to differentiate the if, dice. Yes. My point is you've pre got pre precisely. So so it only it's only really relevant if if there is one model in combat. Right. That, that but, you're or, that you're in range of. But that's that's the circumstance, right? Yeah. So you've got, you know, like I said, if you swap out Boromir of the White Tower and Aragorn, you need to actually worry about this difference. Yeah. And th there's there's no gameplay reason why you should have to worry about that, right? I mean, all this is is a trap for the unwary who happen to be playing Aragorn and they don't different, you know, one guy's within six inches and the other guy isn't. They don't differentiate the dice and he wants to go and re-roll his, you know, he wants to re-roll his four instead of the five to try and yeah. get the six. And the other player goes, oh, no, 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 sir. You did not designate which die that five was, so you cannot do it. I mean, and that's only an issue because the guy chose Aragorn rather than Boromir. Um, yeah. that, that's what I mean by complexity for complexity's sake. Um, all it is is a trap. And that those are the rules that really annoy me. Yeah, so this 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 change or like like this clarification essentially just adds to an as a, a negative play experience because yes. there is there is there that's is no point. yeah there is no reason for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is th this this is a rules change that makes the game less fun in certain circumstances yeah. and doesn't add anything to the fun of the game. So why yeah. do it? Yeah, it's like even even if you had like let's say six models fighting against one, if 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 two of your models were already in range, you'd be able to reroll. The lower dice if only one then that that might be the specific dice that you that you can reroll but it happens to be your highest dice too yeah um all right so to, anyway. to go back to our previous segment on competitiveness everybody out there please if you end up in this situation and somebody has fa somebody has played aragorn rather than boromir and they have failed to designate which die was the die that was within six inches of Aragorn, let them just roll another die. 
on an on an odds they can re-roll it because it was the one that was within six inches of Aragorn, and on an even they can't, and and just do it that way and figure out some way to to deal with it. Don't don't wave this in your opponent's face and say that they're they're stuck because they failed to designate. I mean, I would I, I would just tell them just re-roll whichever. <laughs> or, or you could do that. That's fine. That's fine too. <laughs> it's probably not really gonna matter. <laughs> yeah, which, which, by the way, is how I would have played it until I saw this thing. So, yeah, that's that's also perfectly fine. So, another one: Can a hero that is under the effects of the paralyzed magical power use might to affect their own roll to see if they recover at the end of the turn? Yes, as it states that might may be used to modify the roll. How is that an FAQ question? It it tells you in the rule that you may use them the points. I, I don't know. Yes, because if you read the rule, it answers the question. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why they needed to expend time on that. Um, who exactly can attempt to resist the tremor magical power? Only the initial target or any model under the line? The tremor magical power states that it will target the initial target and any model under the line. Therefore, either the initial target or any model under the line may attempt to resist it. So Again, this is a why? clarification. So this is a clarification to something that needed to be clarified, but it didn't actually answer the part that needed to be clarified. This answer state uh, this answer restates the rule as written. However, what it doesn't answer is the question of if you are drawing a tremor line through a combat, can somebody else who is in the combat but not in the tremor line resist the power? Well, they wouldn't be affected by the power, would they? They would under or the is, under the tremor spell. Is the entire but, combat knocked over? Yeah, the entire combat oh, okay. is knocked over. And I think the way that rule reads, then somebody who is in that combat gets to resist. I think that's the correct reading. I I used to I used to play it the other way, so it was kind of like the sorceress blast, where if you tremored somebody who didn't have will, um, somebody with will could get knocked over without resisting, and then. I went back and reread the rule and I was like, well, that's, that's not right. Um, uh, but that's the part that needed to get clarified, but that's not the part that they actually clarified. They I mean, just they, restated they, the they, rule. They, they, they sort of clarified it by saying it's, 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 a, it's any model under the line, not, not, not the model that's in the, in combat with the model under the line. Oh, oh, Whoa. okay. So uh -oh. you were saying, oh, <laughs> that makes, that makes things worse. Yeah. Either the initial target or now, do you model. do you follow the rules as written or do you interpret this FAQ in a way that they probably didn't think you were going to interpret it and then rule it the other way? This this is just a flat out bad FAQ, this particular question. Like it just opens more more holes in the rules I, rather I, than closing. I them. don't know. In this specific case, it says initial target or any model under the line. If if you're in combat and your model is not under the line, yeah. then, you don't, then you don't get to resist. So this is one of those circumstances, Mick, where I think your reading of this is perfectly fair. And I also think Evan is right that they did not intend this to mean that. <laughs> and yeah, it's probably not the so, best right. way of, of doing it. <laughs> so this may actually be something that... Um, needs to get posted up so that this gets brought to somebody's attention because that that but by the way that if mick your reading of this is the correct version i.e folks in combat don't get a chance to resist the tremor tremor it gets a huge boost 
I mean, that's kind of similar and to Grant to like, did to, not to, need. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But it's, it's it's kind of similar to like models not being able to resist a sorcerer's blast if someone else it, gets. It's exactly targeted. similar to that. Yeah, um, Brogir is never going to cast a different spell again. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, yeah, you're right. It's exactly similar to that, Mick, except for the fact that all the models that are getting knocked down are taking taking yes. strength six hits instead of strength yes. three hits. Yes. <laughs> Um, you can so, hit multiple combats at the same time. So theoretically, you could knock over like three heroes on horses in separate combats yes. at the same time. You could, yes, you could. But that's that, that's right. okay because because we we had to bring back the old Saruman and send the old Sorcerer's Blacks plus. But this is just another way of showing them. Yeah. All right. Um, well, thanks, Mick. I <laughs> I will now be playing Borgir in every list I have going forward. Well, it's not my fault. That's just that's just what it says here. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, do you mind uh, purchasing a second Brogir and painting him up, Dad, so we can both play him in every single list we play for the rest of time? Uh, no, because then you'd end up playing him against me when we have the inevitable Iverson off in round three or four. Oh, that's true. Just like Proxy and a Shaman or something. It'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> Proxies aren't allowed in games against each other. Mm, yeah. I've never heard of that rule before. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Proxies aren't allowed in, in games against people from the same family. Right. right. Well, so the... that one that one probably needs to get brought to somebody's attention because that's a problem. Cool. Yeah. So the, the next FAQ is um, does the uh, Assault on the Thorian Legendary Legion, is it allowed to be used in tournaments? And the answer is no. So that's nothing really controversial. <laughs> then do models have to be on the board to be able to use special rules? Yes. Uh, for, for folks who are not looking at the screen, Mick did just make that up. Um, so. Oh, but I thought, I thought that was that was for, the thing that everybody like was expecting. <laughs> for five seconds, I went through a phase of intense bliss until I actually read what was on the screen. And then yeah, I was well, very disappointed. Well, for about five seconds, I went through a period of intense trying to read what's on the screen going, where the hell is that? But all right. Well, that's that's what everybody was expecting, right? Yeah. Moving a on. Complete ban. Well, uh, no, I mean, what they did was they just, just changed changes. Tremor so that uh, the uh, uh, Legion of the Dragon Emperor can can just dominate Assault on Lothlorien. Yeah. With now, now people yeah, are just going to take three Brogears and kill the entire army on their own. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, that does make me want start, to start using those Black Shield Shamans again. Yeah. Um, okay, so do models have to be on the board to be able to special rules? Well, yes. Unless the special rule only works when the model is off the board. Surprise, surprise. Um, do inanimate objects such as a siege engine, demolition charge, uh, mirror gladry, blah, 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 uh, count as terrain for the purpose of the stock unseen special rule? And that is yes. So you can now hide behind the mirror gladrial if you have an elven cloak. Oh, it's covered. Can we I'm back just... up to the one before for a second? The models have to be on the board to be able to use special rules. So I, I confess I had thought. All right, so this is the way I used to play Madrill or Madrill, however you want to. So it. I, I don't think they they stated this. I think so the rule. So the rule works for Madril off the board. Ah, uh, yes. Just it, for uh, Madril. Right. OK. Yeah. I don't. You, I think this was just wor worded very poorly. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. I get it. it it's not like you can now bring Madril on last um, and everybody else gets his bonus. It's not like when Madril shows up on the board, the special rule stops working. It's just that. Well, no. For himself when he's off the board. So I, I, I had always interpreted it differently. I always brought like Madril or at least Guritz on first. Mm-hmm. Um, he would get the his own plus one. Um, but then at, once he was on the board, everybody who came on after him would get the plus one. Is well, this saying that you can now bring Guritz on last? No, because the the rule still allows you to only give plus one when you're already on the board. No. Well, this is this is saying the opposite. This is saying it's a special rule that only that uh, only works unless special rule only works when the model is off the board. I might just oh, have a okay. just have a read of that. Oh God! Wait a minute. So this is even yeah. That that was what I was saying, Dad. Where it's like, oh, when Madril shows up on the board, his special rule doesn't work now, which I don't think is how they meant to say that but that is certainly how they said that in the faq no no no. so like okay in scenarios where you roll for additional forces you may modify the reinforcement roll for madril's warband by plus one or minus one so when he is off the board you can modify his own roll to right. become a plus one or minus one then the rule says if madril is already on the board ah uh, okay all right. then all, all warbands right. from from this army yeah, the, may also modify this, the special rule is so specific that uh, it's able to uh, not fall under the same issue with rampant misinterpretation that a lot of these other questions have. But um, yeah, it's so, definitely worded pretty poorly. I think answer. I think it applies more to something like Gift of Foresight. So yes, that, I think that was what it was supposed to. Yeah. So if Elrond is off the board, can you modify your priority roles? And the answer would be right. no. Right, which I think was had its own FAQ at one point, but maybe I'm wrong about that. All right. Yep. Okay. And All right. That's it. Oh yeah, and obviously, obviously, assault on the Florian. Also, something else, but I'm not even gonna bother with reading that one. So. All right. Is that the last of them, or are there any more? That is. That is the last of them. All right. That was fun. That is the last of us. Yep. Uh, last, last of our FAQs. All right. As as a as a general reaction, what, what are people's reactions to this FAQ? Because in my personal opinion, I feel like this was a huge nothing burger. Because I, I think the changes to Tremor have changed the game for everybody that uses I, Burger. Yeah. I, I think the unintentional changes. Yes, I think <laughs> I think they. I think the unintentional changes to Tremor had more of an impact than any other rule in this FAQ. Um, yeah, yep. I think I think that's. Oh, did did we go over the? Did we go over the fact that Galadrim knights now have hand and a half swords? We did. We did. We yeah. did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, momentous. So momentous you didn't yeah. even realize. That yeah. You sadly, it. that is also probably one of the biggest changes in that in this FAQ. Um, that Galadriel knights can go two-handed now, and they are probably never going to do that. So, um, that just sort of shows you just how completely pointless this FAQ feels. Um, but that that's just my opinion. I feel like. This could have not existed, and the game would have been exactly the same. Well, unless you were playing Aragorn, 
In which case, now yes. you need to make sure that every your designated dice, designating dice for guys that are within six inches. Or Master of Lake Town. So you're not re-rolling your elf dice. Right. To be fair, well, Eric, but everybody did that. affects every model, yeah. so yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but everybody did that. Now you need to worry about Aragorn. All right, everybody, this has been another episode of an unexpected podcast. We will talk to you again soon. Bye, everybody.